Welcome to The Planted Runner. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik. If you don't have a running injury right now, chances are better than not that you will by the end of the year. While running itself isn't considered a particularly dangerous sport, statistics on running injuries don't paint a pretty picture. Anywhere from 50 to 75% of runners will experience enough pain to affect their running. Sometimes it's just a little strange tweak that is resolved in a day or two, and other times it's something so serious and painful that we might fear our running days will be over for a very long time. Standard protocol for running pain is rest, ice, compression, and elevation, also known as RICE. If it hurts to even walk, let alone run, we'll pop some ibuprofen and declare we need a week off of running, maybe two weeks. After a few days, not only is the injury still painful, but we start to desperately miss our running routine. Our daily stress-relieving run has been stolen from us. Why did this happen to me, we wonder? I should probably see a doctor or at least a physical therapist to tell me what's wrong with me and how to fix it. While we wait for the appointment, our very identity as a runner hangs in the balance. But what if everything we've been conditioned to think about pain and injury is wrong. What if we could heal ourselves on our own faster and more effectively without ever having to stop running? Let's find out. Welcome to The Planted Runner. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and my mission is to help you improve your running, your mindset, and your life with science-backed training and plant-based nutrition. Today, I'm sharing my conversation on pain and performance with co-authors Matt Fitzgerald and Ryan Whited about their book, of the same name. We'll explore why what we think about pain and injury is fundamentally flawed, why training, not rest, painkillers, or surgery is the very best way to heal most injuries, and why our fear and avoidance of pain is making everything worse. Ryan Whited is the founder of Paragon Athletics in Flagstaff, Arizona, and he's a specialist in pain science and physiology. Matt Fitzgerald is an acclaimed endurance sports author, coach, and nutritionist whom I've interviewed three times because his work is so compelling and important to what we do as runners. Their book is truly fascinating, and I highly recommend that you read it or at least listen to this conversation before you get injured. Before we get into the details, I'd like to invite you to run with me in my beautiful hometown this fall, September 12th through 15th, 2024. I will be hosting a four-day running retreat in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Asheville, North Carolina. We'll stay in luxury cabins right on the French Broad River where we can run right out the door. You'll get run coaching, strength training classes, running gait analysis, and more. And of course, it will feature amazing plant-based food and a little nightlife as well. We had so much fun last year that I cannot wait to do it again. It's perfect for adult runners of all ages, paces, and abilities, and you're bound to meet runners just like you. Spaces are very limited and it's first come, first serve. So sign up today at theplantedrunner.com slash retreat. I'll be offering early bird pricing until March 15th. So be sure to take advantage of that as soon as you can. I can't wait to run with you this September. At the end of this episode, right after the Mental Strength Minute, I'll reveal this month's winner of our Apple Podcasts Review Contest. One lucky reviewer will receive a signed copy of my book, The Planted Runner, Running Your Best with Plant-Based Nutrition. If you'd like to win your own copy, write an Apple Podcasts review today. I choose a new winner every month. And now here's my conversation with Ryan Whited and Matt Fitzgerald. Welcome to The Planted Runner, Matt and Ryan. Thanks, Claire. Yeah, thanks so much for having us, Claire. So everybody knows that exercise is good for you. And everyone listening to this show knows that running is good for you, both mentally and physically. But yet the first thing that we do when we feel pain that might be an injury is stop running. And Ryan, you'd like to change that. Yes, I would like to change that. Pain has been interrupting health for long enough. So, so what do you mean by that? Because like pain is our, is our signal to, hey, something's wrong. We're hurt. 
it, it is a signal, but it doesn't necessarily uh, equate to damage so, or harm of tissue. So um, it is information uh, to be used, but uh, it's a tool, merely a tool. Okay. We're going to get into this because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to have a hard time accepting that. <laughs> we're, we're taught that we're taught that not even taught, but like we're animals, pain hurts. We want to avoid it, but yet yeah. maybe that's not what we should be doing all the time. Yeah. Pain does hurt. That is true. Um, actually one of my, one of my favorite uh, quotes, and this is kind of comical, uh, about pain is from roadhouse. And, uh, okay. <laughs> Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. That's right. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, uh, where he he says to the camera, "Pain don't hurt," and I always thought that's hilarious. <laughs> so pain does hurt, but it doesn't always harm. Uh, it is, okay. uh, but we have definitely hardwired our our culture to believe that it is uh, a signal that indicates harm um, and damage to tissue. Mm. But it is just not how it works at all. So okay. it's much more loose association um, between uh, damage and pain. Yeah, I mean, a common example, well, I don't know how common, but a well-known example is, you know, if somebody has lost a limb, they still might feel pain in that limb. And clearly there's mm -hmm. no damage because there's no arm there or no leg there, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, are there some other examples where where pain does not equal injury? Oh, there's many more examples. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so even I, you, you just finished the book last night. Um, yeah. So some of the, some of the examples in the book, you know, where you, um, very often, you know, you can have like admiralities in your spine, um, but are asymptomatic or admiralities in your hip and are asymptomatic. It's very common for runners if they do imaging on, you know, their lower extremity to have like stress reactions, um, even neuromas, like things that you would mm. think absolutely that has to be symptomatic, um, but it's not. So uh, I think 45% of neuromas, which is dang near half, uh, are asymptomatic. Same with, you know, stress reactions, um, like around the same um, percentage of stress reactions just are asymptomatic. So we can have pain experience without damage and we can have damage without pain experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's complicated and mysterious, right? It is complicated. Yeah. So, you know, the, the number or the percentage of runners that get injured every year is, you know, it's some, some people say it's 50%, some people say it's 75% or some other scary number. I've heard a bunch of numbers and the common protocol is rice and ibuprofen and not the food rice, <laughs> but the acronym right, right, rice. Right. And, and then next step is some arbitrary number of days off, or I'm going to take a week off. I'm going to take two weeks yeah. off. That's, that's what I'm supposed to do. You want to talk about that? Sure. Um, rice, I mean, doesn't have much evidence behind it. It's one of those things that's just dogmatically been recycled into our culture. Um, and uh, rest, I mean, I try to tell people if you do have a damaged tissue, uh, how tissue heals. So if you actually have a physical injury, um, how that tissue remodels is with use. So, mm -hmm. um, and even how we progress psychologically is with use. So sure. On occasion, if something is really, really perturbed, um, then yeah, obviously you need to let it kind of calm down a bit, you know, but, uh, psychologically and physiologically, how things heal is by returning to sport. Mm. So, uh, in my in my mind, we've kind of gone about this in, in such a wrong way. Yeah. yeah. And Matt, you've, you've had some examples of this in your own running. Do you want to talk about how you've treated injuries in the past and how it's worked and how it hasn't worked for you? Yes. Um, so I, I used to describe myself as an injury prone runner. Um, Ryan taught me to no longer describe myself that way, but you know, my training was interrupted frustratingly often. Um, sometimes by smaller issues. Um, and then I had a handful of, of kind of major issues, each th you know, three in particular that each of which took me out of competing for more than a year. 
um, each of which I thought might be quote unquote career ending. And initially, I, I dealt with injury exactly the same way every other runner did. Um, if it was, you know, beyond a certain threshold, it's like it's not getting worse. I mean, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. I would, you know, call an orthopedist or a sports medicine specialist, get imaging done, uh, get a diagnosis, um, have, you know, treatment prescribed, go into physical therapy. And for all three of those, you know, multi-year major um, injuries, um, there was actually no definitive diagnosis ever. Um, you know, I even had surgery for a knee surgery for one of them. And of course, the surgeon found stuff because if you poke inside the knee of a, a, a lifelong runner, you're going to find stuff. And just as Ryan suggests, you know, it's like it's, it's the post hoc fallacy where you have pain, you look inside the painful part, you find something, the doc's like, aha, chondromalacia. And, you know, yeah. I started running again and the, knee, the pain came right back. Um, thankfully, all three of these major injuries, plus all of the minor ones I had, I was eventually able to overcome. But the way I overcame them was by running, actually, you know, running and, and strength training. So the very thing that seemed to, you know, cause the problem also fixed it. Now, it wasn't as simple as just ignoring it and pulling ahead. Um, I had to make modifications, but it was just like this combination of, um, you know, persistence, uh, patience, um, you know, adaptability, you know, just like, mm -hmm. all right, now, you know, maybe I can't run fast, but I can run slow, or maybe I can't run every day, but I can run every other day, or, or, you know, maybe I need to cross train a little more and run a little less temporarily or whatever. But like, I just sort of like bootstrapped my way past all of these um, issues. And so when I, when I met Ryan in uh, 2019 um, and learned about his training as treatment method, it just made total sense to me because, you know, I had sort of like learned what Ryan knows the hard way through my own experience. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of runners are going to listen to that. And first of all, they're going to say, hallelujah, I can keep running. But then there's yeah. the other runners who, who don't go to the doctor, who don't, you know, get all the treatment that you've described. And they just, like you said, nose to the grindstone, I'm going to run through anything. Clearly, that's not the right option. That's not what we're talking about here. No. No, there is a time, uh, you know, to seek some uh, medical advice. You know, um, if, if, if somebody suspects a, a stress fracture of the femoral neck, I mean, or mm -hmm. something like that, or if you're of a certain age and a certain gender, and there are certain th there are things to look for. Um, so yes, if you have something that's persistent and it's not backing off, uh, you need somebody to help you take those, um, uh, sinister things off the table. And then, but once those sinister things, those truly like medical things are off the table, then it's a, a pain experience that you, there are many tools to work with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I think as humans, we love labels. We want to label and name everything. So we want to mm -hmm. know that our knee injury is a meniscus tear instead mm -hmm. of just some mysterious pain in the knee, right? Mm -hmm. So like, how does our desire to name our pain get in the way of treating it? Yeah. Uh, so diagnos diagnosis is one of those things that um, for the most part I, drives me crazy. Um, because, but we because, want to know what it is. <laughs> yeah, and it's truly unknowable uh, um, because there are so many contributing factors to pain experience that it's never uh, singular. So it's never an isolated thing that is causal of your pain, if that makes sense. It's really hard for us to get our heads around um, because that's not how we've been taught to think about pain. We have this very simplistic linear causation idea of this has caused my pain. And so we look for that thing, like Matt was saying, you know, you look in the knee and you're like, Oh, I found it. That's the cause. And then especially if you get an image, a uh, picture of your pain, you know, mm -hmm. if you get a picture of your pain, that is very confirming. So, but the, the, uh, imaging doesn't show pain images. Imaging just shows uh, anatomy. Um, right. and there you can have, uh, imaging done, you know, of, of an asymptomatic person, uh, but with abnormalities, uh, in the spine and in the knee and in the hips. Funny thing is all these abnormalities that we we've, like you've said, uh, 
we've given them the label as abnormalities. But over many years of research, we've come to find out that um, those abnormalities very often are more normal than abnormal. Like um, with hip impingement, um, it's one of those things that uh, like a cam deformity or a pincer deformity or a combination um, for runners that have struggled with uh, hip pain. That's a lot of times the diagnosis, it's the diagnosis, the cause that's given to them, you know, that they have hip pain. But I think it's um, around 70% of folks have those abnormalities um, but are asymptomatic. And I'm not a statistician, but <laughs> by my math, that's normal. <laughs> right. Right. So basically what you're saying is a lot of us are walking around with meniscus tears that don't cause us pain, that we have no yes. idea are actually happening. I think there was actually yes. one um, example you gave in the book. I can't remember if it was the knee or the shoulder where they imaged both sides and they found yeah. almost as many issues, quote unquote, with the healthy side versus the painful side. Accurate. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to, you want a diagnosis, they're going to say that's, that's what's causing your pain. So th this is fascinating, but admittedly, this is a hard sell, right? I yep. mean... Doctors, <laughs> physical therapists, those are the uh -huh. experts. I mean, I am a running coach and I tell people all the time, I defer to your doctor. I defer to your uh -huh. physical therapist. Those are the people who have the fancy degrees, right? So telling yep. people to go to the gym instead of telling people to go to the doctor, oh, man. that's a hard sell. Matt, Matt you want to talk <laughs> about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to point out that, you know, the way we think about pain, um, you know, you sort of open with this, like, you know, everyone knows that, you know, you know, pain, we're like, we're animals and, and pain is pain, but actually, you know, pain is a social construct. And so the way we think about pain is very different from the way our ancestors thought about pain. So it, it's, it's changed. There's more than one way to, to understand pain, um, you know. That's why we have an opioid ep epidemic, <laughs> you know, because like Definitely pain, helping. yeah, pain just went from a perception uh, to some a pathology, something that was medicalized and, and considered a problem in and of itself, independent of whatever the pain might be signaling. So, in in the past, you know, and and there are still you know like Aboriginal cultures existing today where research has been done on. Um, pain as a social con construct there, like with, with less like penetration of uh, Western medical ideas. Um, and, 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 and those cultures and in all cultures in the past, pain was more akin to um, fatigue or hunger mm. or sleepiness. You know, like, it, you know, e even today, if you're hungry, you don't call a doctor, you eat. And, um, right. and, and we used to p treat pain this exactly the same way. Like it's not, you know, what Ryan is saying is true. Like very, very often the pain you experience does not mean you're broken. And like every once in a while it does, obviously, just as like your hunger can get to the point where you die. <laughs> um, right, but right. like, you know, in, in the vast major majority of cases, it's just um, information that can help guide your behavior. So, um, you, know, you know, that, that changed. Um, and so, you know, this, this message in the, our present context sounds very radical. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, that's a lawsuit. You're telling, you're telling athletes <laughs> not to go to the doctor when something hurts. No, what's radical is telling <laughs> athletes to go to the doctor every time something hurts. It, it's, it's just as absurd as telling you to call the doctor when you're hungry. It's like, doctor, you know, I'm so sleepy. Well, go to bed. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so it's just it's it, it feels different, but it's it's really not. So do I have to change my waiver that everybody signs when they sign up with me that says consult a physician first before you know starting this exercise program? <laughs> you know the same line that's in every single sure. exercise program. I mean, so I should I can change that now, and I'm going to be okay legally. <laughs> Maybe keep keep your waiver. Okay, yeah. we'll keep the way. <laughs> I, mean, you know, I mean, well, actually, that's a good point because it gets to the fact that we are operating within a system. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you can be right when everyone else is wrong and it can get you in trouble. So, you know, right. like, yeah. you know, I certainly stand behind our message, 
But I would also advocate that you as a coach in you know, our present societal context, keep that, uh, <laughs> that, that, that line in your waiver. I'll be back with my conversation with Ryan Whited and Matt Fitzgerald right after a short break. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see, they've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo jo, Phil Hughes. Justin Fashion You. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network. And now back to my conversation with Ryan Whited and Matt Fitzgerald. So you mentioned in, in the book that there are uh, four truths about pain. So a lot of things we don't know about pain, but there's four things we do know. So one, it's mysterious. Two, it's information. Three, it's individual. And four, which this is the big one that everybody wants, it's controllable. So uh, let's start with the fourth one first. How do we control our pain, Ryan? Pain is uh, very changeable. Uh, and it's not dependent on your tissue to change, but that's what we relate it to. We think, oh, well, this tissue that's causing my pain has to change in order for my pain to change. Uh, but there are very there are a lot of tools to, to bring to uh, the table to help pain change your beliefs, so if you do believe that it's a one-to-one -one ratio of tissue damage to uh, pain level, if you just believe like that has to change in order for my pain to change, then that, that's going to be a big obstacle. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of those things are like implicit, you know, they're, they're kind of baked into our beliefs about pain. Uh, so it's, it's hard to like back out of the thinking, you know, um, so, um, a lot of times just having somebody to help you change your language, change your beliefs, um, those kinds of things, believe it or not, because it sounds like psychology. Um, I'm not a psychologist. I just kind of play when it works sometimes. Um, <laughs> uh, those things help a lot. Language change is huge because it helps reframe and recontextualize uh, your pain experience. So, uh, those are some of the tools that, that, um, help with the malleability of pain, yeah. not just tissue change. Yeah. And, and we all know individuals that seem to just sort of be immune from pain. You know, you think of the David's Goggins character, you know, like he's just larger than life and does everything, you know, who cares if it's painful or not. But, you know, mm -hmm. some people just seem to experience it differently or more, they're more sensitive to it. So should we be trying to desensitize ourselves? Um, you know, that's, that's a complex question. Um, so we all do have, it is individual, you know, like number three says, uh, mm -hmm. we all have a unique experience with pain. Um, so the, Try to use the same tools with everybody is probably uh, a little bit of a mistake, you know, um, mm -hmm. but grossly, sure. Uh, but when it comes down to the, like, in the granular interactions, there's going to probably re require a little more fine tuning. Yeah. Um, so the David Goggins approach will not work for... <laughs> Almost no everybody. <laughs> <laughs> True. In fact, it will probably be a mistake for almost everybody. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Well, one concept that is kind of hard to grasp is that strength training, which we know we are purposely damaging our muscles when we lift heavy things. We're doing that mm -hmm. on purpose so that they can grow stronger. Mm -hmm. But how is something that causes muscle damage, how does that help heal pain and, you know, heal tissue and lessen pain? Like what is going on there? There's a, a lot going on. So your efficacy is uh, in, influenced. Um, your, there's some descending analgesia that, so your own nervous system, how you kind of bring down your pain. You tap into it like over and over and over again with strength training. Um, a lot of people think it's that I'm getting stronger and that's why my back doesn't hurt, but that's not really how it works. Um, uh, there, there are other things that, um, that are influencing it. So yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, it doesn't hurt that you're getting stronger. That's awesome. Um, and there is evidence that, uh, strength training, if you, you, if you do have persistent back pain, um, your likelihood of having, uh, an onset again is reduced. Uh, and then also your duration is reduced also. So, uh, those folks just tend to do better. Um, yeah. the folks that have strength trained. So I, I, it's funny cause we've given all this terminology, like we, we brought these ideas to like damaging tissue. Um, uh, you know, but it's just, we're adapting tissue. It's changing. Mm. Uh, it, but we've brought all these ideas, like, uh, it's, it's almost like carryover from modernity. Um, like when we saw we could just control everything, you know, um, right. it's like Dr. Kellogg worked his way into the medical system <laughs> 50 years later and we're still doing ridiculous things. So, yeah. Um, my, our, we have an 11 year old and, uh, he turned his ankle not that long ago and it was, was starting to swell. Um, and he said, why does it swell? And I was like, well, that's started healing immediately, buddy. Like that's mm -hmm. what we do. We're good at that. We, we heal and we're very, very good at it. So it's why we're so successful, you know? So mm -hmm. we gave it this weird framing. So, yeah. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, so that makes me totally think differently about strength training. So, you know, we shouldn't call it muscle damage you know, microfiber mm -hmm. tears or, whatever, you know, we're, micro tears of the muscles or whatever. Practicing healing. Practicing healing. <laughs> okay. This is starting to be a little new agey woo woo. I'm sure you get, I, I'm sure you hear this as a criticism, right? I mean, I'm sure oh, people sure. are like, okay, yeah. okay. Who is this guy? And yeah. he thinks it's all about my language and all about my head. My pain is in mm -hmm. my head. Ryan, my knee hurts. Fix it. Yeah. You know, it's no more absurd to say that pain is all in your head than it is to say that pain is all in your body. Ooh, I like that. Uh, so uh, we both are absurd. It's, it's too complex to narrow it down to either one of those things. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Okay. When I, so I told my partner that I was coming on uh, this to interview you guys and he's like, Oh great. Could you ask them how to fix my lower back? Cause it hurts. <laughs> so how do you fix a lower back? Fix. Well, I know you love that yeah. word. Fix. Oh, I do. That's a great term. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. As we all know, um, most people will have a significant, uh, pain experience with their back at some point in their life. Um, and it's, an epidemic. Funny enough, like you go to the doctor, those folks that have those experiences are like, yeah, why does it hurt so bad? I've been able to get out of bed and go to work and my relationships is kind of on the rocks. Uh, um, and those folks that you go to see have not had much pain education, which is mind blowing to me. Like, uh, they have had tons of anatomy, but mm -hmm. no psychology, um, no pain education. So they don't even understand like, uh, like how pain works. So it used to be thought, and I, I am positive that this is still taught probably, which is mind blowing also that, uh, nociceptors, that, um, they're free nerve endings in our, uh, afferent nervous system. So it's like the information coming into the nervous system. Mm -hmm. Um, nociceptors were thought to be, uh, pain receptors. And uh, most people probably will still refer to them as pain receptors. Um, 
but that, that is not what they are. So it's not how it works. And we know that now. Um, so those folks are taught tons of anatomy to explain pain to, you know, why something hurts to you. Um, and as we covered, you know, if they need to find something, they can, but pain is just much more complex than that. We know that if, if you have a family member, um, in your immediate family that had significant back pain, that there's a strong likelihood that you're going to have significant back pain, but not because of your biomechanics, um, because you associated, uh, you made some associations with, uh, you know, your back and those experiences and you, you sort of baked in some expectancy. Hmm. So, so if your mom has knee pain, you're more likely to have knee pain, not because you inherited her genetics, but because you watched her hobble around. True story. That is, yep. <laughs> that is super, super interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. you, another thing you touched on in the book was fear, fear of pain. Again, we're taught, we're, we know that we want to avoid pain at all costs. That's our natural mm -hmm. reaction. So when we're injured and we have pain, we're afraid of doing the thing that causes pain. Um, Matt, how about you when you were getting back from injury? Were you afraid you were going to re-injure yourself? Yes, uh, very much so. I, I spent uh, all too much of my um, time as a runner um, running in fear. Like, you know, like I, I go out and I start running, you know, to test a knee that's been hurting or to test... Uh, an adductor that's been hurting and, you know, just crossing my fingers and like, please don't hurt, please don't. Please. And it's, it's not a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, one of the, one of the many benefits of sort of you know, absorbing, accepting and internalizing you know, Ryan's message um, is that it really does bring the fear down. Um, and there are, uh, you know, at least three benefits to that. One is fear is unpleasant in itself, you know, so, you know, there's, there's having pain and then there's fearing pain. It's like, well, if you can at least get rid of the fear, you feel a little bit better. Um, something mm -hmm. might still hurt. Also, you know, that fear can be self-fulfilling. Um, right. the, the more, the more you fear pain, the more likely you are actually go going to experience it. So, you know, fear brings down the, I mean, you know, getting over the fear brings down the fear, it brings down the pain. And then it also can uh, modify your behaviors in, in a ben beneficial way. When you're less afraid of pain, um, you're more likely to take the steps that are actually going to help you um, overcome it, uh, which are, you know, forms of just modified continued activity. Um, so, you know, if you're very afraid of pain, you might stop moving and that almost never works. Um, you know, you take some time off, you get back into it and your body's like, I thought we were re retired and the, you know, the, the pain comes back or something else starts hurting. But if you try to keep moving and just, um, again, not bullheaded, but in an adaptive, flexible way, or just like, all right, how do I work around and through this? Um, you're more likely to do that if you have less fear, and then you're more likely to get uh, better outcomes. So all kinds of benefits to um, taking down the, the, the fear level around pain. Mm -hmm. So it's not just strength training, it's getting back to your sport. So in our case, it's running. We need to run to get healed from, you know, from the injury that was caused by running, you know, that, that is a tough concept. I think for some people, they think, oh, running caused my knee pain. I need to stop running. So how, how does what caused the injury help the injury? I think that's the part that I think most people have the hardest time having, you know, getting their heads wrapped around. We, we kind of have to define injury. So uh, it sounds like you're still relating it to like this caused my injury, but you have to think was, was this a, just a pain experience or was this actual damage? Um, and that, that recontextualizes it, you know, and I think what Matt was saying, it, it kind of frees you up to go, this is just a pain experience I'm having and I can work with it. And it's basically practiced psychological flexibility. You know, you just are putting it into practice where you, you, you basically, like Matt said, you gently start working back toward what you want to do. You can use the tools of strength training, um, because of those, uh, the benefits of it, you know, like it, it in some cases, I, I don't think it's dependent, like I've said, um, on the tissue changing, but all those other psychological factors that, uh, come with it, um, 
psychological benefits, practicing those things uh, will help you get back to your activity quickly, more quickly, mm-hmm. I should say. And it's, I, kind, it's kind of, oh, go ahead, Matt. I was, just, I was gonna say, uh, I think it, it's helpful to, um, you know, it's nice actually that like, I'm not a scientist and I, I learned all this stuff fairly recently because like I was on the other side of, I can't my, wrap my head around this, um, you know, not, not too long ago. And I think it helps if you think of pain as a warning, um, as a, as a message versus as like this, um, you know, like, you know, signal damage signal. So, you know, if you're, if you're running and, and your knee hurts, you know, it's very, very, very likely that you don't have a true injury. Um, uh, but the, the pain is real, but it's, it's very unlikely that you, that you have an actual injury. And, but, um, you know, so that pain is warning you. It's like, just like when you, when you have like, you know, really severe t- fatigue, you know, um, you're, you know, 5k from the finish line of a marathon and you're just, you feel like I need to be finished now. It's your body saying, maybe we should slow down a little bit. Uh, if you want, it's, it's very much parallel to that. So it's in a way, it's sort of like your body talking to you. It's like, I'm you know, just letting you know that you're getting close to uh, too close for comfort to actual damage. Like there is no actual damage yet, uh, but I'm warning mm-hmm. you. And so if, if your, if your knee is talking to you, then guess what? You can talk back to your knee. And so, mm. and by, and so by sort of like continuing to be active, but also sort of meeting your knee halfway and like, you know, not running as far or not running as fast or not running as often, you're sort of, you're sort of reassuring that knee. It's like, I hear you. I'm going to respect the, the, your limits, but I'm also reminding you, I'm a runner. I'm going to stay a runner. So you need to, <laughs> you need to get in line. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think it, it starts to make more sense when you, when you, think about it that way to sort of like this kind of mind body conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, I mean, there's a couple of running parallels there. Like, like pain is a threshold, you know, we want to go up to the line, but we don't want to cross it. Right. It's your body's way of saying, Hey, you've crossed the line. Mm-hmm. It, it can just be a liar too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I had a friend who, um, had uh, an appendectomy a few weeks ago. Um, so, and he, he, it was funny because he described this whole event to me and he, uh, he read the book uh, not that long ago. And he was like, I don't know. I couldn't explain what was going on. Um, so he said he had some pain, but it was pretty weird and not very distinct. Uh, and then he just thought, you know, I think I need to go to the doctor. So he actually ended up going to the ED, um, and had an emergency appendectomy. Mm. So, um, but the curious thing was, is weeks later when he went to return to running, he went running, uh, got home. Um, and this was, you know, after he was done healing, he had been released, no restrictions, got home and had severe abdominal pain. Uh, and he thought, what is going on now? Uh, right. and so he actually, uh, and this is, he's, I think he's probably right around 40. Um, so he goes back to the ED, um, and he literally can't get off the floor at the ED. And he's saying, you know, this is the most pain that I've ever been in. And I don't, and he's, he was a pro, pro athlete. He was on the U S cl- uh, climbing team. So, uh, he literally can't get up off the floor and he's telling them this is the most pain I've ever been in. And I'm not sure what I've done. So, um, they end up getting him into bed and they start an IV as soon as they start an IV. And this has been going on for hours cause he put it off for a while. Uh, he said, as soon as they started an IV, he just went, where did it go? Uh, and he was laying there going, I don't understand. Uh, and it literally just went away. So this, profound pain experience that he was having just went away. They, they went ahead and checked him out medically for, you know, just in case, and there was nothing that was found, but the fact that he had a previous experience, um, definitely contributed to that, you know, but he said his actual appendicitis didn't hurt like that. (laughs) So, yeah. So, so, um, yeah, so So it's it's just just one of those things. It's one of those things that can be pretty fuzzy. So, um, you know, you just have to like, like we've been saying, you know, be aware of it, um, but don't live by it and don't, don't put it above your health. Like we've created a system that, 
um, prioritizes the absence of pain more than your health. Uh, right. and that, that's not how that should work. Um, if your health is going to the back burner for, because of the presence of pain, you, something's upside down. Right. Right. So we should not fear pain. We should respect it and not try to avoid it, mm-hmm. you know, which I think as athletes, we can kind of understand. Obviously, running sucks a lot, right? Running's hard. Running's painful. <laughs> Even when we're healthy and we don't yep. have any injuries, running fast hurts. You know, there's mm-hmm. an effort-based pain, if you call it, that we're sort of used to, right? So I think we can understand that there's some pain involved. So is there a kind of simple recipe, if if you could, of how to how to get better at, as you say, owning your pain? How do you get better at being okay with this? Mm-hmm. Um, reframing it, like we're like we've been talking about, is a, is like step number one. Just bringing mm-hmm. a whole different context to the experience is step number one, and realizing like this doesn't mean I'm damaged is a great jumping off place, mm-hmm. um, and then practicing that with your language, uh, build it into your language, uh, build it into your thinking and the processing, uh, that is really, um, which I guess really boils down to just practice, you know, uh, your practiced thinking about it. So, yeah. Um, We can only practice it when we are hurt though, right? (laughs) Can we practice this before we actually feel pain? You can practice it in conversation. For sure. Okay. Uh, like when, when you are having a conversation like we are uh, and somebody brings up pain, you can help your reframing by helping their reframing. Mm-hmm. So by changing the language around it, you know, and, and culturally, like that's what we've done in a negative way. So why don't we try to do it in a positive way? Okay. Okay. So really the way to deal with it, like physically deal with it. Because again, people are going to be like, okay, tell me exactly what to do for my back pain. My back hurts. Tell me exactly what to do. You won't do that, right? You won't say do a bunch of RDLs or or whatever. You won't say, give them a specific exercise, right? So we should just try a few things. If they're painful, back off, try a few other things. If those are painful, back off. Or can you give me a prescription? (laughs) Yeah, um, you could say uh, there there are a lot of options. Like I've said, um, directional preference is so a lot of the therapies that um, are used are really just directional preference. Um, meaning, which means what? Like you, so if you go in and somebody uses the McKinsey method, which they've paid thousands of dollars to learn this method, um, and now they've made it sellable, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, this is a very specific thing. But it's not really all you're doing is not doing the thing that hurts for a second and slowly trying to return to it. Um, so, um, if it's forward flexion that is provocative to your back, then maybe for a second, don't forward fold. Uh, um, but you could also forward fold if you lay on the ground, um, and put your feet on the wall, that's forward folding. It's just in a different Mm. plane. Mm-hmm. So you can change the plane. Uh, you can mess with your mind a little bit. So there's all kinds of um, research on illusion and uh, pain. So wow. where they use VR goggles. So people with persistent neck pain, uh, profound persistent neck pain, um, you know, they'll say, "Oh, I can turn my head five degrees before it's it's too much for me to bear." But then they'll put the VR goggles on, uh, deceive them about how far they're rotating their head. Um, and they will rotate their head greater than 20 degrees without any symptoms. Um, but it's because they've been tricked and about how far they're rotating their head. Mm -hmm. So you can do those same little things with yourself. Um, the same little, uh, like closing your eyes are some of the things you can do, um, because you're not sure exactly where you are in space. Um, you can do all kinds of things. You can even use a mirror. I mean, everybody knows about mirror therapy. Um, there's nothing exclusive, you know, about mirror therapy. I don't know what mirror mirror. therapy is. What's mirror therapy? Uh, Mirror (laughs) therapy. So mirror therapy is for folks that have, um, a painful limb that they haven't been able to get help with. 
you can put a mirror um, in the hand on one side that will say the, the unaffected hand on one side and watch the mirror and it will convince your brain that it's the other appendage. Um, so, so you can bring down the pain just by tricking your brain into thinking it's an appendage, the other appendage. The other trick with that is, um, uh, you can do, um, this is a pretty cool illusion. There's, there's lots of these illusions online. If you want to go look at them for resolving pain, but they will have somebody put their hand on either side of the mirror, um, or on one side of the mirror, brush hand, the uh, rubber hand. So this hand is rubber, but your brain can see it. <laughs> and the actual hand is covered on the other side. Um, and then you will start to sense the, the brush on the other side. Um, and so you will actually have the sensation of being brushed on your hand, even though it's a rubber hand. So wow, there, there are tons of illusions <laughs> like this. Yeah. That is fascinating. Well, I think this, your book is definitely going to be eye-opening for some people. Um, I think half, pe <laughs> half the people like me are going to be like, this is awesome. This is what I thought the whole time. <laughs> and then the, <laughs> other half are, then the other half are going to be like, yeah, I'm going to go to the doctor. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about this guy. Right. I mean, do you get that? Have you been getting that reaction? Um, from some, uh, I, I think actually it probably rings true with most probably lands right with most folks though. Um, yeah. cause many of us have had that experience, you know, where, uh, we've just been frustrated and you're like, wow, I am really having a hard time here and, uh, not getting much help. And it's not because, you know, those folks that they're going to see aren't trying to help. Um, right. it's just that they don't have the skills that, uh, are necessary a lot of times. Yeah. yeah. So I hope it lands right with most folks. Yeah, I think it will. I think it will. And uh, one thing that I was happy to see in the book that you mentioned, um, as you can tell, I'm a redhead. And what does that <laughs> tell you about my pain tolerance and sensitivity? Any, any guesses? Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a little higher. <laughs> yes. Weird that yeah. both. I, I'm more sensitive <laughs> right. and more tolerant. I don't know. I've, I've had yeah. kids and that's, that's, that was painful. <laughs> and run marathons and that's painful yeah. too. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if you think about it, you, if, if you have more experience with it, then you have, it has to be higher, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause you, you're up against it more. Or maybe it's because I believe, because I am a redhead, that I do have a higher tolerance, that it's my expectations are already higher, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation. I really uh, recommend that. Let me grab the book here so if people are watching that uh, everybody grab this book, Pain and Performance. Really um, the other thing I did want to point out was that Matt did the writing here. And of course, in Matt's style, it's, it reads like a novel in some parts, which is really fun <laughs> and unexpected. So, uh, kudos to you, Matt. Thank you. Yeah. And, and where can we get it? It's out now, right? It is. It's available on Amazon. It's any bookseller. So yeah. Perfect. If, if you have a local bookstore, it's probably there. Or they okay. Can Great. And if people want to learn more about you, Ryan, uh, where should they go? Or they can sign up for training or tell us all about that. They can go just to uh, Paragon Athletics website. So, uh, yeah, you can, uh, my bio is there. Um, obviously, you're going to learn more about me in the book. Uh, but also, you can book an appointment virtually. Um, it, we do a lot of virtual work nowadays. So because uh, most of our work is uh, conversational like this and mm -hmm. you know, exercise prescriptions, um, it's very easy to do that work. Fantastic. Well, thank you mu so much for uh, being on the show to both of you. Thanks, yeah, Claire. Thanks so much for having us. And now it's time for the Mental Strength Minute. Fortify your mind in 60 seconds or less. Today's topic is expect the worst. 
When you think a race or a tough workout is going to be really, really hard, it can cause you to feel some pre-race anxiety. That is not a pleasant feeling, of course, but if you can get through that and start the workout, you will most likely find that your fears of disaster don't actually happen. The run isn't as hard as you predicted and you end up feeling great. On the other hand, if you predict that things are not gonna be so tough, and it turns out they really are, it can be demoralizing enough to slow you down or even bring you to a stop. So pre-race or workout, remind yourself that this is going to be really, really hard, but you're strong enough to get through it. This month's winner of our Apple Podcast Review Contest is Maxi Tish, M-A-X-X-Y-T-S-H, who wrote, refreshing, five stars. As a runner that has listened to many different running podcasts, coming across this one has been refreshing. Love the variety in topics, the guests, and the emphasis on a plant-based diet behind all of our running success. Your mission, Maxi Tish, is to email me at claire at theplantedrunner.com with your U.S. shipping address and your signed copy of The Planted Runner will be on its way. If you would like to win next month, all you have to do is write an Apple podcast review. I read every single one and choose a new random winner. Thank you for listening to The Planted Runner, part of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. Don't forget that you can win a copy of my book for leaving an Apple Podcast review, so be sure to write yours right after your run today. Reviews are the number one way to boost this show's reach, and it's a great way to tell me what you'd like to hear next, because I read every single one. Have a great run today. There is no hood like parenthood. When you meet a fellow parent, you just kind of get each other on a whole nother level. Hi, I'm Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm a former CNN journalist, mom of three, including twins, and host of That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast. I interview change makers on their life lessons, legacy, and superpower of intuition, AKA their mom sense and dad sense. I've had some pretty amazing parents on my show. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Episodes release every Thursday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Join my tribe at thatstotalmomsense.com and follow me on Instagram at Kanika Chadda Gupta. I'm thrilled to be on this journey with you.